We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing. So we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. Today is February 17th. Thursday, as always, for the Mike Abadir Show. And this is your host, Mike Abadir, and I've got a great show for you guys today. Thank you for tuning in. As always, we are going to jump right to it because there's lots to talk about in the sports world, as always. Even when the Super Bowl is over, there's stuff to talk about in the NFL. So we'll talk a little NFL, talk some horse racing. That's probably going to be a bulk of today's show. And let's just get right to it with a guest that any regular of the Mike Abadir Show is familiar with, hopefully. If you're a Saints fan, you guys have checked out her work on The Athletic. If you're a horse racing fan, you may know her from even prior to her stop in the NFL world when she covered horse racing at the fairgrounds. Talking, of course, about Kat Terrell. Kat, good evening. How are you? Looking forward to some good racing this weekend. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Fairgrounds, your old and current stomping grounds in a lot of ways, is going to be probably the uh, track that most people are going to focus on this weekend, especially when you're talking about the course to the Kentucky Derby, the path to the Derby, where you're going to be able to pick up some points, where you're going to figure out as an owner and a trainer, whether you have something really special underneath you or not. But before we get to fairgrounds and the risen star stakes, which is the headline race of the weekend, of course, when it comes to the Kentucky Derby, let's talk a little football. Let's talk a little saints football more specifically just kind of what's your overall feel now that we're done with the Super Bowl and the coaching vacancies have been filled, head coaching-wise at least, throughout the week, about Peyton stepping down, your thoughts about the head coaching search overall for the Saints, and maybe even taking a step back and kind of share with our listeners what are your thoughts about the process overall because there's always been this hint of, you know, um, is racism at play or not? More than a hint. But this is probably the first time that we've actually had it kind of full front and center, bang, right between the nose. Hey, there may be some things to look under the hood about. And the Saints kind of found themselves inadvertently a part of that discussion, not because of anything that they've done, but by one of the candidates that they uh, interviewed. So what are your thoughts just overall about all of this stuff, just generally speaking? Um, well, I guess I can start with Peyton. Uh, I was, I, I admit, I, I was surprised that he actually did it. You know, it's kind of funny since we're about to talk about horse racing, but um, the last time I was at the fairgrounds was for the Lecomte. I, I guess that was three or four weeks ago. I, to, to be honest, it, it's a blur at this point. Uh, but, you know, I was sitting, um, I was sitting there with, you know, just other writers and also people that, that know Peyton because, um, as you guys may know, you know, Gail Benson, um, owns horses and, you know, uh, races horses and, and things like that. So there's a lot of intersection between the two. And that was just the whole topic of discussion prior to him actually stepping down. We were talking about, will he actually do it? You know, these are, this is what's going on. These are the rumors. And uh, the thought in my mind at the time was, you know, coaches coach, coaches don't, just step down willingly. It's it's very hard for them to give it up. Now, you know, obviously he doesn't intend to give it up. He said he's going to coach again, which makes the whole situation even weirder. <laughs> that, you know, you'd have, be having a retirement press conference, but in the same breath saying you're going to coach again. 
so it, it's odd. It's odd. It's odd for me. I've covered the Saints with the exception of three years um, for since 2012. And actually, Peyton wasn't there that year. But for the most part, I've, I've only covered Sean Peyton and the Saints. So it's kind of interesting to see this next era of the Saints uh, without Drew Brees, without Sean Payton. And it's interesting to me to see what Dennis Allen is going to do after you know, a failed stint in Oakland that's kind of hung over his career for, for so many years. Um, but, yeah, you know, what you were talking about, I, I do have a lot of questions, I guess, about the whole process of finding a coach and how the Saints, um, I guess, were kind of not in the center of controversy, but, you know, they were on the outskirts of it because from beginning to end, everyone thought it was going to be Dennis Allen as the next coach. And so as, as a candidate, how do you go in there and interview when everyone thinks it's already going to be someone else? I, I just think, uh, I don't know, I, I think it's, it's very, I mean, it's a subject that needs to be discussed. I mean, it really does. Not just not just talking about the Saints, but just in general. And I think Flores has kind of put something at the forefront that people talk about, but don't really talk about it. If that makes sense, I don't think it's talked about enough. Yeah, no, I think you're you're making exact. I think you're making the, the the exact point that a lot of that's a conclusion that I think that a lot of people are coming to. It's just hard to kind of really assess the, the situation when you're not necessarily totally privy to intentions full on. Now, look, I guess as a non-white person, I would look at it. I'm sitting here thinking about it and I'm like, okay, well, would I still want the interview if I knew that Dennis Allen was getting it anyways? My answer personally would be yes for two reasons. The first one is if minorities are having a difficult time getting jobs, well, a part of that might be a lack of interview prep. So I'd like to go through the interview just to kind of be able to say I've been through it and, I, and to figure out how I can kill it the next time around. You know what I mean? Like, that's the first thing. Just mm-hmm. I think there is value to going through the process. The second thing appeals to my competitive side, which is, ah, so they think they found their guy. Well, they haven't met me yet. Let me go in there and n- knock their socks off. Right. So there's that side of, of things, but then there's the other side, which is if I'm Flores and I know that the New York Giants interview is a sham, you know, I'm insulted. That's for sure. Secondly, it's a waste of my time as a professional, maybe the underlying thought process. But then again, for me personally, and I can't speak for others, I default back to, well, at least it'll give me some little bit more experience, et cetera. Now, in Flores' case, he probably didn't need the experience, right? Because he's already had a head coaching job before. So his, his thought process might be different than maybe another, you know, black guy's thought process. Just, just saying it's, it's, I think it's back to on an individual level. What was done? Was it right or wrong? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And if he feels like these interviews were a sham, he has every right to be insulted because these are not interviews where you just show up and, just talk. It takes a lot of work, a lot of work. These interviews take, they go on for sometimes nine hours and they ask you everything and you have to be extremely organized and have all of your points ready. And yeah, you could say, Oh, well that's any interview, but these are very intense interviews because there's only 32 jobs available. 
So if you show up and you feel like they don't even care, I mean, that's, I mean, that's insulting. And I, I have, I mean, I, I would be angry too. If the Saints wanted, I mean, going back to the Saints, if the Saints, if, if Dennis Allen was the favorite all along, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. You know, you can hire who you want to hire, but I think it comes down to, okay, well, maybe they had an idea they wanted to hire Allen, but are they giving every other candidate equal time, equal opportunity, equal respect? You know, uh, are they keeping their options open? Because otherwise, if it, if it was Allen and they just were doing what they had to do to comply with the Rooney rule, I mean, then, then that's a problem. But if maybe they thought, well, maybe Allen can be the guy, but maybe someone else, like you said, comes in and blows us away, then I, I think that's a different story. But as you said, it's, it's very hard to judge intention unless you have actual proof that the intention was, uh, I don't even know how to say it, wrong, I guess, or it wasn't there. Um, and so, you know, with the Saints, you would have to be able to prove that and with other teams. Uh, but, you know, I think, again, we need, there needs to be more discussion of this because when you look at, the amount of players that are minorities versus the amount of coaches, I just think there's something wrong there. You know, I, you know, why, why hasn't there been, I mean, maybe the NFL has put in rules to try to address this, but it doesn't seem to be working. So I, I don't know. I, I like that this is being discussed more and, and I hope that it leads to a positive outcome. Yeah, I agree. You, you, you like laid out so many really, really good points. Wish I had the time to dissect each and every one one of them. You know, when I said bingo, it was when you said that it really depends on when these guys are coming in. Yeah, maybe we have our favorites, but are we giving this other person every opportunity and the full length of time and the attention to what he's sharing with us and not our mind wandering already to, well, what's Dennis hires? <laughs> Dennis sounds, you know, next hire, right, gonna be, exactly. or that type of thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, where's your mind at? Those are some of the things that are probably impossible to figure out. And, you know, I guess it kind of brings me back to the whole Rooney rule in the first place. You know, maybe this is the time to reexamine it because I think it's going to bring about the same result every time. Right. Because, not every time in terms of like no hires or anything, but it's going to bring back the same result in that there are going to be these situations where we know we have our guy here, but we still haven't had the sit down yet with a minority head coach candidate. And so I think anytime you make something a requirement where you mandate it like that, you're going to open yourself up to that possibility. And I have to look back at, well, when they, at the time they made the rule, what was their intention then? Maybe at that point it was to accomplish some of the things I'm talking about, which is, well, let's just at least, even if they're not going to get hired, maybe certain people will have more experience under their belt and then giving them a better chance to get the next interview opportunity next year and to nail that one um, just because, you know, there aren't enough that are going through the process. And it kind of brings me to, to this, I guess, final point that I'll say about this because uh, there's so much we want to talk to you about that probably be, be a good time to move on um, since this is something that we could talk about endlessly, and, which is this. I'm actually very surprised that we haven't really been equipped with more information to be able to understand the situation a little bit better. And what I mean by that is this. 
I'd like to know how many, let's just say non-whites, okay? Because I don't want to necessarily focus on Flores' black side and not his Caribbean side or his Latin side or what, you know what I mean? Let's, let's just say, do we know how many non-white candidates are interested in interviews, that go through interviews, that are granted interviews, that are denied interviews? And why I put it in those terms is, what if we're we're told that, okay, in the years where maybe one or two black head coaching candidates are hired, what if somebody said that was 100% of the candidates that we had? Or 67%. What if there was three that actually voiced, you know, hey, we want the, the job? It would be a little bit different than if I found out down the road that there was 1,500 that wanted a coaching opportunity at any level in the NFL and that they only interviewed 18 of them. So where's the data? That's that's kind of yeah, what I'm curious I about. Actually, like, like, how do I we know anything about any of this stuff? Really? I mean, all we know is that the NFL is made up of whatever percentage it is, 67, close to 70% black players. And then the stats stop there. Like, how could that be? Like, where where is the additional data on this stuff? Out, out, upon retirement, how many have attempted to get a job? Right? Maybe maybe none of the 70% are getting denied, for all I know. I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. I'm just saying I think there's a lot more data that needs to be shared, or if it's not being withheld, for God's sakes, it needs to be compiled. <laughs> like, we need... Like, it's very hard to be able to examine this stuff after the fact, you know, and I'm sure that there's kind of a maturity to it all at some point. And I know I'm kind of getting on more of a philosophical tangent, but kind of where where I get that from is when you move on then to baseball, you know, there's a big percentage that's growing of Latin American players, Puerto Rican players, Dominican players, et cetera. At what point do we say that major league managers need to reflect that same percentage like that, should there be thirty-eight percent Latin uh, managers in baseball? Do is it important that it mirrors the constituency? I mean, these are all things that go into a, a lot of this stuff from both a public policy perspective as well as just like a raw data perspective. Am I just kind of going off on a crazy rant, or d does that kind of make a little bit of sense? No, I mean, I I agree because. Well, I thought, I mean, not that I, uh, again, I mean, I'm just talking. It's not like I have solutions. But I, I do think that one possible solution um, of everything we've been talking about is for the entire hiring uh, process to be more transparent. We we get info when they request to talk to people, which, you know, it's kind of irrelevant because, say, if they request to talk to an assistant, if it the, the other team can't deny them, you know, if it's a promotion. So, like, okay, we get that info. But we don't get any other info. So if the entire process is transparent, I think that maybe things would be different. I, I don't know. I just would like to see more transparency from it. Okay, and uh, I, I think that is something that most people can agree on is more transparency needed. And let's sit on that for now and slightly move on to – Peyton himself, question for you. And I'm sure he's been asked this a zillion times, but if he hasn't, I'd be very shocked. Was his was the movie about Sean Peyton coming out regardless? Or was this something where like he knew that he was gonna be retiring at the end of the year, didn't want to say it, and and then you know, talk to 
the movie people are like, like, all right, don't release this until right after I make my announcement that I'm retired. Like, how did that all come into play? I watched it, by the way. P- pretty funny movie. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, not an all time classic, but it was, it was a decent movie. Did you see it? I have not seen it yet, um, but I, I think no, I, I don't think so. I actually, his daughter's boyfriend is involved with the movie. I forgot in what capacity, but a pretty big capacity. Uh, so I think that's been in the works for a while. Um, but I haven't seen it. I have seen clips though, and the uh, just like the image of the Superdome being visible from his office is just. Oh my God! It's that's so bad. It's so bad. I'm like the Superdome's 20 minutes away from his office, but but sure, I'll watch it eventually. It seems um, very cheesy, but you know, eventually <laughs> it, it, I'll, I'll give it a definitely I'll give it a, a little watch. bit of, of the cheese factor. Um, and of course, you know, I mean, you got to get that with the king of queens guy, right? I mean, yeah, it's it's a certain yeah. type of humor. You know, you you can only expect certain things out of like him and a Sandler and guys like that. The one thing that I thought it was a little bit maybe kind of threw me off a little bit was it didn't really depict him as a very good dad. And I, I really don't know anything about Sean Payton off the field. I don't know if you as a reporter do or not, but was that part totally, is that a fictitious part or is that, is that him coming out and saying, I want to be a better father or do you, do you have any idea? Well, I mean, first of all, I think most coaches probably feel that they could be better parents because they spent so much time away from their kids, but also, you know, he, he got divorced when um, the kids were teenagers. I, mean, I can't remember that, that year. And they lived in Dallas, and, you know, he lived in New Orleans. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he feels some of that. I mean, that probably went into it a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, I just – I think it's it's always – you talk to any any head coach, and sure. they always say it's a, it's a tough balance um, to figure that out because if you don't devote most of your life to trying to make – your football team better. It, it almost seems like it, it. It's just a job you can't do half halfway. So no, you know no, that's no. that's an interesting topic, though. Yeah. So okay. So uh, one uh, one thing that I'm sure that he's happy he's out about uh, not uh, not head coach not having to worry about this type of stuff are uh, arrests or off field trouble. What's the latest on the uh, Camara situation? It seemed. Like initially, the talk was, "Hey, the video kind of corroborates what the victim said." Um, you know, is is this? It seems like the, the the conversation on the national level at least kind of cooled off a little bit. Where is the Camara situation at at this point in time, or are the Saints really saying much right now? You know, the Saints aren't really saying much, but I think people stopped kind of talking about it a little bit with the Super Bowl and everything else going on. Um, I do know that they arrested or are either arrested or the other guys involved turned themselves in. And, and one of them was a, another NFL player. Um, the initial police report mentioned the other guy's names, but they hadn't arrested them at the time, which I found weird. I, I guess easier to arrest Camara because they knew exactly where it'd be. That's the, what I find weirdest out of the whole thing that they just waited for him outside of the locker room after the pro bowl um, and brought him and interviewed him and brought him in after that. But, you know, he doesn't have another court date until March, so I assume that there's not going to be much information unless the video comes out. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because, you know, as as far as charges or even down the line NFL punishment goes, it's probably going to – a a large part of it is probably going to hinge on whether they can prove Camara was the one um, who fractured 
the victim's uh, eye. And I don't know if you can prove that, even if you were looking at the video, but um, that'll be interesting to watch the next few weeks, months. Uh, I assume it's not going to be a quick process. No, I agree. And I do find it fascinating, by the way, the timing of it all <laughs> in terms of the arrest and, and even some yeah, tweets that went crazy. out. By, yeah, even some tweets that went out by, by teammates and stuff. Um, yeah, there, there, when you actually piece it all together on a timeline, it's yeah, a l- little bit, a little bit strange, let's just say. So before we get to horse racing, one final thing, I know you're coming out with a piece. You do it usually, uh, probably around the same time of year, most years regarding the salary cap. Uh, maybe you could kind of give us a, go ahead and give them a quick plug about that one, when they can expect it, what that's going to be all about. And more importantly, the saints fans, what is the health of their salary cap situation? I know for some reason, with the Saints in particular, it seems like there's there's a lot of doom and gloom, and then the capologists get their thinking cap on and do a miraculously good job with the Saints, A-plus job in that front office each and every year. Is that kind of what we're staring at again, a little doom and gloom, and then let's just see what they could do with this? Yeah, I actually put the piece up on The Athletic this morning, uh, just kind of breaking down everything they need to do to get under the salary cap. Uh, they're a, a between about 70 and $80 million over the cap, which is not great, but uh, they were $100 million over last year, so uh, I guess they're improving. But, you know, it, it's interesting because you see so many people saying the Saints need to tear down their roster and blow it up, and I just keep thinking, do you know anything about how the salary cap works? Like, people are just thinking they can cut players with no repercussions in terms of, of salary cap, and I'm sure that makes you laugh, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but most of these are just – I mean, they're going to push all the money down the road again. I mean, they can get under the cap without cutting anybody. All, you, all they are going to do is restructure a number of players' contracts, Kamara, Lattimore, Ramchak, um, Taysom Hill. I mean, you can do that all – pretty easily they might cut one player that would be bradley roby the cornerback they traded for last fall but that would be less of a salary cap thing and more that they had this rookie paulson adebo that actually played pretty well and they're not going to pay a cornerback 10 million dollars next year to only play part-time so that would really be the only big cut i see or surprising cut it's not going to be like last year where they did have to cut a lot of players to get in compliance with the salary cap um, so yeah, it's always doom and gloom, but I guarantee you within the next four, uh, next few weeks, uh, they'll be in compliance. They, they can get it done pretty quickly. Last Saints question, because I think most Saints fans probably know this maybe more than kind of on a national following type of level. This is a pretty good team. I mean, I don't remember exactly how many guys took snaps under center this year. Was it four or five different players? Um, I mean, I would say that if they had one guy throughout the whole season, doesn't matter who it is, but just that continuity, the, you know, they probably get three more points in our, in our playoff, three more points somewhere during the season and are a playoff team. So this is a pretty good team, especially their defense, but they've got offensive weapons too. just need somebody to, uh, you know, be able to take charge under center. Who is that guy going to be? Who do you think, looking into your crystal ball, who's the starting quarterback in week one for the Saints this year? Well, that's a tricky question. I don't think personally they're in a position to wait to the draft to try to get a quarterback. You know, they pick, I think, 18th. Um, you would really have to give up a lot to move up. I mean, maybe. And I don't know if there's that guy anyway. Right? I don't know if there's that guy anyway. 
move up for who? Pickett? I mean, maybe. Uh, but if he's not, I mean, that just depends on how much the Saints like these guys, though. I mean, everyone makes it sound so easy. Well, we'll just pick a quarterback in the draft. Well, what if they don't like any quarterback in the first round? So, to me, I think the Saints addressed that before. I, maybe they re-signed Jameis Winston, uh, but, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to go after a quarterback in free to, or via a trade. But, you know, a, a lot of teams, uh, like every year, are going to be competing for those, the very small pool of guys, and I could see some quarterbacks just getting overbid. Um, sure. You know, so, yeah, I, I, like I said, they can get under the cap, and they will have cap space. Uh, and they can structure contracts to make it work, but, you know, if you're going to try to pull away like an Aaron Rodgers, you know, that's, that's tough. But, you know, the Saints, uh, as I've been told, if they think they can get a guy and they think that they'll make the team better, they will do anything in their power to do it, um, which was what makes covering this team really fun, to be completely honest. Completely agree with you. So, Risen Star, We've got a few minutes here. When you look at the history, recent history, it's produced Lawyer Ron and Mucho Macho Man, Gun Runner, War of Will, Mandaloon. So many good horses have come out of this race. This year's edition, we got a field of 10. You got the, uh, I believe it's the runner-up and the third-place winners, uh, runner and the third-place finisher from the Lecomte, which you just mentioned earlier during the show that you were in attendance at. Uh, who are some of the horses here that, let's just say you think could actually be legitimate derby threats? Well, I think the first horse you're going to look at, who's, I'd be surprised if he's not the favorite, is Smile Happy. I think um, he is probably going to be heavily bet down on Saturday. Um, you know, interesting horse. He has not raced since uh, November. So, you know, there's kind of two thoughts. You know, you, you either think Smile Happy is the best horse in the race or you're looking at, ways to, to maybe beat him, and that's one. He hasn't raced since November, so he might not be fully cranked up for this race. They might be looking ahead already. And two, what's interesting about the Risen Star is that it kind of favors speed horses, or at least it does lately. I think the last five runnings after a half mile, the winner has been no further back than fourth or something like that. Um, so I don't have to kind of... It's kind of a closer, but, you know, he's only raked twice, so um, that's not kind of a, a definite there. So I guess those two things you could say go against him, but um, he might be the horse to beat. But, you know, the other horses that I that I like, even though, you know, he came in second in Lecompte, is Epicenter. And you might get a little bit better price on him. Um, so those two are probably going to be bet a lot. Um you know, there's a Dorachinko horse. I don't know if you remember Hero of Order. The what was it? The 101 shot or something that won the Louisiana Derby a few years ago. Same trainer. Oh, yeah. So uh, you know, he's he's uh, I guess taking his shot at it, even though this horse has finished better than sixth in a allowance race. But um, <laughs> I always like seeing what that trainer will do because he he's an interesting trainer that. Um, instead of, you know, doing a workout pattern like most trainers do, he uses the races as workouts. But I, I wouldn't put heavy money on, on that one. And then there's Papa Cap. Um, that's another horse that was in the Lecompte, ran third. Very talented horse. Um, 
But, you know, I'm, I'm not as high on him as I, as I was, uh, I guess, after, you know, the juvenile and the Lecomte. Give us a okay, word on your way out the door here. rambling. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, I said okay. So let's let's get let's get a winner uh, out the door here. Who you Ooh, think? Okay. On the win bet. Hmm. See, I hate putting win bets on like on favorites. So, um, I think if I was going to do that and try to find some value, I think an uh, interesting horse. Actually, two interesting horses. Um, Tawny Port is interesting. You really, I mean, it's always hard to bet against Brad Cox, um, even though, you know, again, this horse is only raced twice and, and never in stakes company, which this is not really a race that produces winners like that step up in class. Um, but, you know, he could provide a lot of value, and you never really know what um, Brad Cox is going to do. And then uh, Pioneer Bedina, like Todd Pletcher is great at shipping in the fairground. Whenever he ships in there, he usually has a live horse. 10 to 1 on the morning line. Uh, it's raced four times. Again, never in stakes company, but looks to be improving. So Pioneer Medina is, is one I, w- I would definitely take a look at in terms of if you want to put a win bet down on a horse that would have probably good value. I'm writing notes here. Because <laughs> and then, I then am people not gonna... come back and say, hey, you've lost me money. <laughs> Never. Kat, thank you so much. Really appreciate you coming on, talking some saints and some dollars and cents here. Hopefully we'll be banging out some winners this weekend. I know you got yourself a little bit I of a stash. So. From, from a little bit of, I don't know if I'm not supposed to say that or not, but you, you, you got a little bankroll going for this for this, uh, for this this race, I think. So we'll, we'll hopefully all come out winners <laughs> here. I hope so. I, I did have a good weekend last time. So, I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. Let's replicate Let's it. hope we'll make it two weekends in a row. There you go. That's Kat Terrell from The Athletic. Definitely check out her work. Whether or not you're a Saints fan, you'll love what she does. Stay with us. We will be back right after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back for the second segment of the Mike Abadir Show. Always like talking with Kat because she's very authentic. You know, she'll she'll bring both she'll bring both fat, the aspects of how much she's a passionate fan with her skill set as a writer, with her research, and bring it all together nice and neat. So typically, I like most probably all the guests that we bring on this show, but Kat's somebody that I always tell myself, need to have more more Kat on this show. And of course, anybody that listens know that I'm huge on The Athletic. I think if you're a sports fan nowadays and not subscribed to The Athletic, you're missing out on an element that you can only get through The Athletic. And this isn't a big plug or promo for The Athletic. They don't pay me to say this, but they've done a really outstanding job in terms of bringing in the best, absolute best writers from all over the country and creating kind of like what, remember what Fox sports did many years ago and what they've reinvented themselves to do, I think time and time again over the years, which is to have this national presence, but to bring you the best of the regional presence. And they've changed their model a few times in terms of how they deliver that. And, uh, you know, Californians remember prime ticket and, um, you know, there's Fox sports Bay area and those names have changed along the years. And I think that, NBC NBC has kind of come in and taken over some of that. Bally Sports has come in over to take some of that. But the initial intention, I think, at first was, okay, we're going to bring you like the national games of the weeks and stuff, but we're going to have the local teams decide who to do business with to bring you the, you know, uh, the full complement of 162 in baseball or 82 in basketball, et cetera. And so they they broke it out like that. And there's some networks like Nesson for Boston. That's been an institution for many years or the Yes Network in New York institution for many years. But pretty much in every other major area, Fox Sports has had their hand in bringing you ball games at some level, pre and post game shows for their hometown networks, uh, the hometown teams that the network covers, et cetera. And they've done, I think, a pretty good job overall. Well, The Athletic has brought that same concept to writing. And I know it's not unique or completely, uh, you know, they're not necessarily the most pioneers, let's just say, in, in bringing you something like that. But right now, I don't think you could find anything better. Now, if you recall, ESPN also tried to do that, and I think still maybe does. I don't know. It's not great. That's why I don't even know. But they had like ESPN, you know, LA and, and Bay Area and Chicago land and so on and so forth. From that writing perspective, it kind of shifted to a little bit more of a podcast type situation where you you go on to to find out what podcasts are uh, being offered to talk about the local teams, etc. Well, The Athletic does that from a podcast perspective, from a writing perspective, from breaking news perspective, etc. And so, for example, if you're a Red Sox fan or you're a Marlins fan or you're a Brewers fan and you sign up, you've, get, you've got access to all of it, to the entire national 
network of writers. But then you can also hop on the Milwaukee side and just read up on what's going on with the Brewers or the Bucks or the Packers, etc., cetera, uh, as well as you know, some of the bigger college teams that might also exist within that region. And so it's a cool concept, I think. And heck, if you've been a listener of the show for you know several years, or even just the last year, but just over the years overall, the number of writers that have come from the athletic that have stopped in the show, I think is around 17, 18, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, and I'm not even counting the guys that were with athletic, but then have gone on to other things. I'm talking about just current existing athletic writers. I think we've got about 18 under our belt that are currently with the athletic. So, um, yeah. So thank you, the athletic for, uh, being so kind with your time, uh, and allowing your guys to be able to spend some time with us. Can't say the same for ESPN. ESPN has got a clause in a lot of these people's contracts, which is why, by the way, if you've ever wondered why there's not a lot of cross marketing, if you will, ESPN will have their guys only within their network. So if you listen to any of their shows from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m., it's going to recycle a lot of the same, like Stephen A. will be on this show, and then he'll be on that guy's show, and then another person's show throughout the day uh, within the ESPN network. But you're not going to hear them on CBS Sports Network or, or Fox, et cetera. And I think a lot of the networks do the same thing, by the way. But the ones that allow for cross-pollination, to me, I think, are the ones that reap the most benefit. I really, really do. So... That's my quick rant on that. Uh, and look, let's, let's be honest here. When the NFL is over and the MLB is in a not lockout, we can kind of dissect some of these other happenings in the sports world, media coverage, etc. It's called filling time, folks. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. It's called there's not a lot necessarily going on the field, going on on the field. Uh, but basketball's going on full force. I apologize if you guys are huge basketball fans. Probably not a show, especially when Gino's not on, where you're going to get a lot of basketball content. Uh, we like to focus on the things that we are most connected in, the things that we've got the most access to information on. Basketball, I, I probably could spend the, uh, the next couple of years farming for more basketball contacts. But um, I'm not like a super pa passionate basketball fan. Just uh, just being honest with you guys out there. That's why when you listen in, the, the amount of time we spend on certain topics is the amount of love we have for those sports. And that's why it's it kind of goes like NFL and baseball at the top, followed by maybe like horse racing and soccer and tennis. Pretty much coincides with um, with our with the fanhood within this show here and that's why like i said when over the years gino is a huge huge basketball fan and uh, much bigger than i i almost have to restrain him a little bit because he could talk about the lakers and about sc basketball all day and all night and i know that there are listeners of this show that are fans of those two teams that i've mentioned or the love hating on those teams that i just mentioned especially the lakers right lebron etc um 
I want to get back to coaching for a quick second, head coaching, NFL level. I know that there were a lot of people that were probably very curious about where Jim Harbaugh would land and whether or not he would land on their team. Uh, news came out today that it looks like Harbaugh is going to be receiving a base salary of $7.05 million this fall. 7.5. Could be up to $7.6 million. Did I say 7.5? 7.05. Could be up to $7.6 million in this final year of his new contract. Right? And then... And then he he gets this extension. It's going to take him through 2026. So this guy's in pretty good shape. And head coaching contracts in the NFL aren't discussed in terms of dollars and cents as much as they are in college football or in other sports for a variety of reasons, by the way. But when you're talking about state jobs, like a lot of these head coaches are um, their employer is the state, right? Unless you're at a private school. Um, so now you're going to be a part of that state salary list. And it's kind of funny because when you pull up state salaries, you'd think, you know, the governor, district attorneys, uh, attorney general, I should say, um, you know, maybe the the medical czar for that state, you'd think that they'd be at, up at the top, but it's kind of funny. Each and every state, the highest paid employees typically the head football coach at the biggest uh, school in that state and uh it kind of begs the question if you're one of these super highly paid college head coaches why would you want to go to the nfl i think the flirting that was done you know with the vikings and stuff like that when it came to harbaugh was simply to be used as leverage to get a contract extension, to get higher dollar amounts, et cetera. But I mean, think about that. You don't have to be penalized when you're good as a college football coach. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, in the NFL, when you're good, you're penalized in a variety of ways, right? You're always up against the salary cap. So if you're a really good team and you've got really good players, then you're going to come up against it when it comes to salary cap because good players cost you money. How else are you penalized? Well, if you're really good, then you're going to have the worst draft pick spot to draft from. So the really bad teams get the best advantage when it comes to the draft year in, year out. So you're awarded a great draft position when you're bad and you're given a poor draft slot when you're really good. Whether you want to call that a penalty or whether you want to call it that just the structure, well, that is just the structure. And the structure suggests that when you're a really good team, you got to pay guys and you're going to get the worst draft picks of the available guys to pick from. At least the worst positioning. I shouldn't say the worst draft picks. Sometimes the best draft picks are way down in the draft, right? But on paper, you're going to have the position that is least desirable, which is the last few spots, right? You don't have to deal with that in college. If you're Jim Harbaugh and you're a really good team and you're winning and you're getting into sexy-sounding bowl games, 
And if you're in the conversation for national championships, you get the exact opposite of what happens with a head coach in the National Football League. You get your pick of the litter. You get the best high school players from around the country to come to your school if you're really good. And why would you want to leave that? I mean, really. You get first round. If you win in college football, you get first round draft picks uh, all day. And the top of the first round. And you only have to live in the first round, by the way. You think Nick Saban (laughs) brings in a lot of fifth and sixth and, and seventh and undrafted free agents to Alabama? Every year he's getting a bunch of first round players from throughout the country. The best of the best in high school football is going to Alabama every year, is going to the top schools every year. They're getting first rounders upon first rounders upon first rounders. I'm not talking about guys that end up being first rounders in the NFL. I'm using this as an analogy, right? You know, you're you're not having to get draft picks that are, uh, you know, way down the list. You know, you get, you get your top hundred list. Look at look at all the schools that those guys end up at. They end up at the best schools, right? With some random exceptions here and there. That's why what Deion Sanders has done is remarkable this year in terms of getting five-star talent to uh, Jackson State. Uh, I've mentioned that in previous shows. Hats off to him. That's remarkable. And hey, look, there is a selling point, too, if you're a kid that's highly touted to go to some uh, other programs, especially if they're well-coached and, and have a means of getting national attention vis-a-vis having Deion Sanders as your head coach, right? You're the best player on the team. All the tension's on you. And if you go and you do really well, uh, you're you're doing it against competition that isn't nearly as tough as the SEC. It's not a bad gig. But anyways, that doesn't necessarily support my premise here, which is if you're a really good college football head coach, it takes a lot to leave. And I'm not talking about leaving like Pete Carroll when you know that there's a dumpster fire behind you at USC. And so, hey, good time to leave right about now. Let me explore my competitive <laughs> my, my competitive nature side of things and go to the NFL. That probably wasn't the case. Pete Carroll knew exactly what was about to happen at USC and figured this is the perfect time for me to head out. Adios, SC. I hope the sanctions that you're hit with aren't too bad. I hope you're not stripped away of any of those national championships that I brought you because I'm out of here. So, so, so Pete Carroll ducked out, but I'm talking about you're in a premier situation like a Nick Saban right now. Why somebody like that would want to go to the NFL. I don't know. And proof of what I'm talking about is he went and he did it and he was right back at college football again. Didn't take him very long. Did not take him very long at all to come to that realization. It's like, wait a second. If I'm a 10 win team, 11 win team. I don't get the best college players that are out there. Heck, if I'm a 10-win team in college, I'll be able to get the best player all day. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't think so. Speaking of the best of the best, what are the best of the best in baseball going to be doing this week, these upcoming weeks? Pitchers and catchers were supposed to report yesterday. Now, you're going to see that minor leaguers are going to be able to report. And the reason for that is because that they are not governed by the MLB Players Association. They're not with the union. They're not 
I'm part of that union as minor leaguers. I believe that the, the minor leaguers don't even have a minor league union at all. So they're going to have to report. But what about the best of the best? What about the major leaguers? What are they going to be doing over these next few days here? Maybe weeks. Now, I sent out a tweet, by the way, about 10 days ago, congratulating baseball for being really close to getting things done and for all of this stuff being a mere formality. Now, the news you've heard since I sent out that tweet has been very, very opposite. It would make it seem like the tweet that I sent was from years ago and have nothing to do with the current situation. And I've gotten several people that have called me out on it, like, what's up? So let me tell you what's up. A good friend of mine who is a baseball agent, he's asked me not to mention his name. He told me that they're actually much, much closer, that they basically have the infrastructure in place to get a deal done. And that the attorneys are milking it a little bit longer. And they're making it seem like some things are absolute deal, deal breakers when they're not. And anybody that's gone through like any kind of formal negotiations course, what, what you'll leave there realizing is that you have your A, B, C, and maybe even your D points of contention that you're going to play hardball about. But really, the one you really, really want is point E. So you make it seem like it's all about these four, three or four bullet points. And all you really want is for the opponent, your opposition to cave on E. So you start making some concessions on the A, B, C, and D stuff, but holding really firm on the E. Well, the E for the owners is pretty much there. If they can kind of get a few more favorable things go their way with the A's, B's, and C's, great. But the attorneys are going to get paid with every day that passes. And supposedly, according to my contact, he says that one day, coming up very soon, you're going to hear about this miraculous turnaround and that they were able to get something done, and boom, they're going to be back at it again, and they will not be wasting or, excuse me, missing any games from the regular season. So I wanted to clarify that, explain why I sent out the tweet that I sent. I do believe that my friend's information is accurate. So for now, I'm going to eat crow if he's wrong. And if we miss any games, you can come back and be like, Mike, you got to eat crow because that information that you gave us was absolute dog, you know what. But I don't think so. I really honestly think that these guys are going to get it together. They're going to finalize something. It's going to seem like a miracle. And the whole thing's a smokescreen. That really, what they're after has already been agreed to. And that everything else is all for show. It wouldn't be the first time the attorneys milked the process a little longer. right? Now, how, how do you do it as an attorney, by the way? It's, hey, you, you can't concede on these issues here, even though you know we're already good over there. right? All it's going to take is for the other side to maybe make some slight concessions here and there. And then they're going to advise that their client take the deal. That's exactly what's going to happen. Mark my words. We're going to have baseball. And I'll tell you what, if I'm wrong, the one that's going to be most bummed about it is me. 100%. 100%. I mean, that's how big of a baseball fan I am. And if there's any possibility 
that games are going to be missed. That's going to be a big bummer to my spring. I'll tell you that much. It's already kind of a bummer because I plan to go out to Arizona for spring training this year. So now I kind of have to put those plans on hold until we see how this thing all plays out. Um, so, again, I'm bringing this up today because today's headline is that there was little progress made in the latest MLB labor talks. Okay, and I'm not surprised by that. Again, this is part of the show. There's a reason that the owners are locking out the players. Players aren't the ones striking, right? And so I think it's important to understand the difference because it's an important difference when you're talking about unions and how a negotiation in terms of labor talks is going to play out in this type of setting. Who it really hurts, quite honestly, are the guys that need spring training this year to be able to make a roster. You know, like that veteran that signs for like a minor league deal. That's the one that's going to be really hurt by not having an extended spring training because he may not have an opportunity to make that roster if he doesn't, you know, get get in and show what he could do at, at the advanced age that he's at, that he's worthy of a second shot. So we will see, my friends. That's all the time that we've got for this week's show. Once again, a big thank you to Cat Terrell of The Athletic. And as always, thank you for listening. Without you, there is no show. We will see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week. And may your photos always be winners.